If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. You know, the name Cornelius McGillicuddy is one that many of you may not be familiar with since he passed away some 64 years ago. But if you are a diehard baseball fan, you may have heard of him. In baseball, he was known as Connie Mack. You see, Connie Mack was one of the greatest managers in the history of baseball. Wikipedia tells us that that Connie Mack uh, was the longest serving manager in Major League Baseball history. Uh, In fact, we know that in the first three seasons, in his first three seasons as a Major League Baseball manager, Connie Mack's teams finished 6th, 7th, and 8th. And he took the blame for uh, for the, uh, the failures of his team, so much so that he had demoted himself to the minor leagues so that he could learn more about how to handle the players that he was trying to manage. When he came back to the major leagues again, he handled his players with great success, and he developed the best teams the world had ever known up to that time. Mac had another secret of good management as well. The secret was he didn't worry. You see, he he once said, I discovered, he explained, that worry was threatening to wreck my career as a baseball manager. I saw how foolish it was, and I forced myself to get so busy preparing to win games that I had no time left to worry over the ones that we had already lost. You see, maybe that's why during his career, Connie Mack managed teams that won nine American League pennants and five series titles. And his decision to focus on winning instead of constantly worrying about what all could go wrong and was going wrong, his decision to focus on what it took to win is why that even though he retired some 70 years ago, to this day, he holds records for wins, losses, and games managed, with his victory total being almost a thousand games more than any other major league manager. This morning, as we look at the first six verses in Psalm 37, we will learn how to choose wisdom instead of worry. Psalm 37, starting in verse 1, we will read to verse 6. The psalmist says, Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn and your justice like the noonday. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for today. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, that gives us words of wisdom. These are not 
These are not mere words of the wisdom of mortal man, but these are words of wisdom straight from the mouth of a holy, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And may we take them to heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we continue to watch the year 2020 unfold, it would be easy for believers in Christ to be afraid of what is ahead for our nation. Because the truth is, is that the enemy of God is hard at work in our culture. And the truth is, is that the enemy of God has a strong foothold in this moment in the United States of America. He is causing much chaos. You see, he does that because he loves chaos. The enemy loves chaos, and one of the reasons why the enemy loves chaos is because chaos raises fear. Chaos spurns anger. And it raises our level of worry. And when people are angry and afraid, and when they're filled with worry and fear and all of these things, they are so much more likely to make unwise and ungodly decisions. You see, in Psalm 37, most scholars believe this to be the words of King David who is writing these words in the form of a worship song, but he is writing these words as an older, more mature, more experienced man. As a man who has a lot of life experience behind him. He shares the words of wisdom to help others understand and help us understand even right here this morning that even when the world doesn't seem fair, our choice must be wisdom, godly wisdom over worry. So we see right here in Psalm 37 what it looks like to choose wisdom over worry. And we see that in, in, in three things. Number one, we see that we are to trust in the Lord. If you want to choose wisdom over worry, you need to trust in the Lord. Look at verse 3. That's exactly what David says. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Someone once said, don't ask God to guide your steps if you're not willing to move your feet. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I can't tell you how many times I have thought when people come to me and they ask me for advice, or they ask me, what, is, what does the Bible say about this or that? I want to really understand how God sees this situation in my life. I, I really want to understand how God views these issues in our culture today. But listen, friends, what good does it do to say with your mouth, God, light my path, if in your heart you're not sure if you can trust the path that, it, that will be re revealed by the light of God. You see, the truth is, you can come to church and you can pray and you can fast and, and you can ask all the right questions. But none of that matters if you don't trust God enough to obey the instructions that He actually gives you. What good does it do to ask God to guide your steps if you're not willing to move your feet? I think a lot of people, they, they act like that as long as they 
just acknowledge the existence of God, as long as they don't get so disheartened with things going on in the world and things, uh, you know, why would God let this happen to me or that happen to me? A lot of people think as long as they don't get disheartened with God, as long as they acknowledge God, that because of that, they somehow are going to end up with some type of happiness or fortune in this world. But listen, folks, we all know this to be true. Trusting God does not immunize you from problems. It doesn't make you invulnerable to problems. In fact, trusting God goes much deeper than that. If you were to ask me just to sum up what it means to trust God, I would say it like this. Trusting God is the firm confidence that no matter what happens, His way is the best way. Let me say that again. Trusting God is the firm confidence that no matter what happens, God's way is the best way. It's the kind of trust that Job has in Job 13. If you remember the story of Job in, in Job 13, this is after he has lost his children. This is after he's lost his wealth. This is when his marriage is falling apart and all the influencers in his life are telling him, turn your back on God. Walk away from God. Curse God and die. A lot of his influencers were saying, hey, this faith stuff, this is getting you nowhere, man. You need, you need to do something else. But in Job 13, 15, he responds to those ungodly influencers. And I love how it reads in King James. In Job 13, 15, in the King James, it reads, Though he slay me, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. But I will maintain my own eyes before him. Though he slay me, even if it is God's will for me to die right here in this moment, in this spot, some horrible death, I'm still going to trust in the Lord. That's what it means to trust in God. What a great example of that. You know, it's fitting that the book of Job is believed to be the oldest written book in the Bible. Now, other books in the Bible talk about things that happened before the time of Job, but if you were to ask scholars the question, what was the first book of the Bible actually to be written down, many scholars believe it to be the book of Job. So it's fitting that in the earliest version of the written Word of God, the key theme in the written Word of God from its earliest version is trust in God. See, Job trusted God so much that he had decided that even if it led to his death, though he slay me, Job said, I will trust in the Lord. You see, that's the kind of trust that that, that, that we see in Job 13, but that's also the kind of trust that we see David talking about right here in Psalm 37. And the kind of trust that Job had and the kind of trust that King David talks about here in Psalm 37 is the kind of trust that comes from the heart. 
You see, it all starts in the heart, folks. In fact, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, starting at the end of verse 8, Paul reminds the Roman believers the message of the gospel. He says, this is the message of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he explains it further in verse 10. He says, one believes, trusts, if you will, has faith in the heart, which results in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. What he's saying is, is salvation and faith in God starts in the heart. And then if it is, if it happens in your heart, you can't help but let it bubble out into your life. And that is going to speak and be obvious, number one, in the things that you say. Are you willing to say that you believe Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that God is the answer? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way? Now you can say that. It doesn't say that you confess it with your mouth and then you believe it in your heart. It says you believe it in the heart first and then it comes out in your life. See, it all starts in the heart. And friends, I want to ask you something this morning. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Because trusting God isn't just something that you say with your mouth. It's something that begins deep down in your heart. And it will be obvious. It should be obvious. It should show up in your attitude toward God. See, if you, if you want to be moved to choose wisdom instead of worry, you've got to trust God deep from in the heart. But number two, you need to be you need to have the kind of trust that will cause you to delight in God. Verse 4, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, a verse that has gotten me through situation after situation after situation since becoming a believer in Christ my senior year of high school. This is a passage that I have grabbed onto over and over again, it says this, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord. It doesn't say, uh, you know, begrudgingly obey the commands of the Lord. It says take delight. Let it make you happy. Let me ask you something, friends. If you are a believer in Christ, you need to ask yourself this question. Does it make you happy? Does it bring you joy and delight to serve God, to obey God, to do the things that He has told you to do? I think about Acts 16 when Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel then they were attacked by a mob and they were arrested, beaten, and thrown in prison. Their only crime was that they were preaching truth in a culture that was hostile to it. 
Let that sink in just a little bit. That was their crime. Paul and Silas were preaching truth. Preaching the gospel. Jesus loves you. God wants to save you. You have been created for a reason. And that reason is to serve the Lord our God, the Lord Almighty. They were preaching that message to a culture that did not want to hear it. And after all they endured, in Acts 16, verse 25, it tells us that on that night, Paul and Silas stayed up to midnight, praying and singing hymns to God. Not only singing about God, but singing to God. They didn't stay up to midnight being depressed. They didn't stay up till midnight sulking and crying and, and, and telling each other and anyone that would listen about how unfair God had been to them and how un, unjustly they had been treated. They didn't stay up plotting revenge for the guards and for those who had imprisoned them. They didn't stay up threatening to punish their captors one day. Instead, it says they stayed up singing and praying to God. Why? Because they trusted God to the extent that even when... Now, I want you to understand what I say here. Even when, not even if, but even when it led them to suffering. There will be times that as you trust the Lord... That, that, that your life in the path of God may lead you to suffering. And even when it led them to suffering, even when it led them to difficulties, Paul and Silas delighted in the Lord even when things were not fair, even when it seemed like the world wasn't fair. They delighted in God. They didn't delight in the mob. They didn't, de they didn't delight in the government. They delighted in God. Friends, do you take delight in the Lord? That's, a, that's an important question. Because in case you haven't taken a look around, we are living in a world that continues to become more and more hostile to the Word of God. Listen, folks, this world needs Jesus. And you and I are called to proclaim the gospel of Christ. To proclaim that gospel and to appeal to a world that at times will be hostile to the Word of God. We are to not ignore them. We are to appeal to them. For the people and the nations of this world to be reconciled to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're going to do that, then we must choose to seek and follow after godly wisdom. Godly wisdom instead of worry. Listen, godly wisdom, just so you know, it doesn't ignore the risks. Godly wisdom does take into account data, okay, when making a decision. But here's where, where, what we need to understand about godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is found in the spirit 
God-led understanding of the Word of God. Godly wisdom is found in the Spirit-led understanding of the Word of God. Friends, that, that means that it begins, again, deep in your heart with that choice of whether or not you're going to trust in God. In Ephesians 1, Paul reminds the Ephesian believers about what happened to them when they were saved. He says this in verse 13. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see, when a, when a person trusts in God deep in their heart with, with, a, uh, with an eternal faith in Jesus Christ, and when you say that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe and, and I have a Romans 10, 8 through 10 kind of faith, then Ephesians 1 tells us that the Holy Spirit of God comes into the heart of the believer who has been saved. Friends, if you trust God deep in your heart, there should be something inside of you that motivates you to take delight in the Lord. That kind of trust brings with it an attitude toward the Word of God. It brings with you this attitude that, that the Word of God is the ultimate. It is, it is the authority in all things. Before somebody's opinion, before uh, some government uh, decision, before uh, some group of people decide this or they decide that, it is the Word of God that is the ultimate authority. That's why godly wisdom, that's why I tell you that godly wisdom comes from the Word of God. Godly wisdom is found when you trust in God and delight in God. It's also found when you commit your way to God. Look at verses 5 and 6. David says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Trust in Him, and He will act. That means that because of who God is, and because uh, in your heart you have an abiding, faith-driven confidence in God, that in your heart you have committed to live your life according to His standards that you are to commit your way to Him. Trust in Him. That means it's not just about your heart, but, but it's about the fact that what's in your heart affects your attitude. And what's in your heart and, and in your attitude will come out in your everyday life in the way in which you actually live. What's in your heart is what determines what you believe and then how you believe is going to impact how you live. Trust in God. Commit your way to Him. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the old movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It seems kind of weird for me today to reference that as an old movie, but indeed it is, I think, about 30 years old. 
know how many of you have seen that. I know many of you have, but for those of you who have seen it, maybe you remember the scene near the end of the movie when Indiana Jones is looking for this cup that is believed to have been used by Jesus. They're calling it the Holy Grail, and, and he's nearing the place where they think they're going to find this great treasure of this cup that Jesus drank out of. And, and Indiana Jones has with him a little bitty book, and the little bitty book has, has a lot of clues in it about how he is to navigate through these different obstacles that are in this cave. And, and, and near the, the end of what is really near, near the third obstacle, Indiana Jones finds himself walking through a, a cave corridor called the path of God. Think about that. The path of God. And it was the path of God that led Indiana Jones to the edge of a cliff. And so he stands at the edge of the cliff and he looks down at his little book of clues and the clue in, in, in this last seemingly impossible obstacle says this, only with a leap will he prove his worth. And Indiana Jones realizes in that moment that it was a leap of faith. And that before he could, he could move with his body and put into action this leap, he needed to decide in his heart whether or not he believed what was in that book. He needed to decide in his heart if he believed the author of that book. How much did he actually trust what was written there? Did he trust it enough to step off of the edge of a cliff? <laughs> now, if you've not seen the movie, you're already wondering, what happens next? Well, I'm going to let you look that up online and, and see for yourself. But here's the deal. If you and I believe the words and the principles that are in this book, then it should be absolutely evident in how we live our lives. It should be evident in the things that we are committed to in life. For example, when this book tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect and that Jesus is without sin and without flaw, then I believe it to be true. And I don't just believe it, I believe it with everything that I am that Jesus is perfect. When this book tells me that Jonah was swallowed by a large fish, I don't believe that to be a parable, folks, or, or some allegory. I believe that it really happened. And I believe it to be true. When this book tells me that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that He is the one and only way to salvation. He is the one and only way to God. Folks, I believe it. When this book tells me that God created man from the dust of ground and, and woman from the bone of man's flesh, I believe that that is literally what happened. And when this book tells me that certain things are a sin, whether I like it or not, I believe it to be true. And I believe it to be right. When this book tells me that humanity is created in the image of God, 
I believe it to be an unchangeable, intrinsic truth. When this book tells me that as a believer, I'm going, I am to go and take the message of the gospel to the world, and that with that message, I should seek to make disciples, I believe that that is my life mission. Why? Because this book is the word of the living God. And deep within my heart, I trust the author of this book. Because I trust him, friends, listen. I delight in him. Because I trust him, because I delight in him, I have committed my life to him. Do I always do it perfectly? No. None of us do. All of us are going to fall short of the mark at some point. But here's the deal. I am submitted to the fact and the, the truth that the Word of God is the standard and the ultimate authority in my life. So, so if I should feel bad about something... If I should see that something I have done is wrong, I should seek to correct it, not because it's popular or unpopular, but because it is either with or, or apart from the Word of God. So what matters is whether or not I am walking in the Word. Now again, none of us are perfect, but we have to understand that this is the standard. This is the authority. Because of that, my prayer is that my family life, my church life, my social life, my everything life would be centered around a commitment to the Lord. Listen, friends, we need to be committed to the Lord. So much so that we should strive to live it out. And as you live it out, we see in Psalm 37 that even when it seems like Evil is flourishing in the world around us. The believer in Christ need not be overwhelmed by the worry. We need not be overwhelmed by the chaos. But the believer in Christ may respond to things around them with concern, but not with worry. As a believer in Christ, we are going to be concerned. We should be concerned. Who wouldn't be concerned with all the things we have seen in the world just in 2020? Not to mention all the things that we can go back to and look to things that happened throughout the history of humanity that should concern us. But our response must be a response of godly wisdom and not of worry. Friends, let me ask you, do you trust God? Do you really trust Him? I'm not asking you if you just believe that God is real. I pray that you believe God is real because He is real. <laughs> but do you trust Him? Because that kind of trust, the kind of trust that we are talking about here today, the kind of trust that brings with it godly wisdom, helps us not to worry. That is a trust that begins in the heart. Begins with becoming a believer in Christ. It begins by admitting your need with, for Christ. It, 
It, it begins with admitting that you are a sinner, repenting of your sins, trusting in what Christ has already done. You see, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says that we might become the righteousness of God through Him. He died for your sins. You might know that, but do you trust it deep within? Have you been washed by the blood of the Lamb? But if you're a believer in Christ, let me ask you this. Do you delight in the Lord? Do you delight in God? Because if you do, that should be evident in your attitude toward the things of God. That should be evidence in how you live your life. If, if, if you trust God with that kind of trust, there shouldn't be any uh, reading Scriptures and then saying, yeah, but. Yeah, but I think. God says, but I say. <laughs> no, it doesn't go like that. If you trust God, it's God says, and because of that, I believe and I do. Or I do not whatever it might be. Are you committed to God? Because if so, that kind of commitment will be evident in your life actions. Listen, folks, as we move forward in 2020, it would be easy to get lost in worrying about where our world is headed. And I want us as believers, as a church, to look at it with the wisdom of God and begin preparing for the wind, like Connie Mack said, I stopped worrying about all the possibilities of what if, and I started preparing for the winds. And I want we as believers to begin to prepare for the wind of being a growing, saved disciple in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, you can't be a disciple if you've never accepted the gift of salvation. And from deep within your heart, You've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you are a disciple, friends, listen. If you are a believer in Christ, the win for a disciple is to be a growing disciple who is reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, if we will fill our time focusing on those things, then there will be no time for worry. Let's pray.